Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I had a really interesting conversation with fellow astrologer Nate Spear about performance art and performances connections to psychological and emotional range, magic, and charisma. I wanted to talk to Nate because when I see his astrology updates on social media, they are transmission-like, where he uses different sounds and voices and theatric elements, essentially, to convey the feeling tone of the planetary transits he is describing. I felt that there was probably something really interesting and thoughtful behind that process and how he developed that kind of communication capacity or vocabulary, and I wasn't wrong. I think you'll enjoy this one. Now, performance art has been on my mind because I have an upcoming course called Online Presence as Performance Art. I've noticed that a lot of people have hang-ups about being online or cultivating an online presence or sharing their offerings in the public internet commons. Yet, for those of you who do remote work like me, as an astrologer who sees clients and teaches courses online, the internet is a dynamic, fruitful place where you can meet so many friends colleagues, and soulmate clients. So we actually just need to be in right relationship with the internet. So learning how to put ourselves out there, how to work through our fears and anxieties about being in the public, and how to engage an audience are all key. This course is for you if you know you have something of value to offer the world, if you offer services virtually or market your services online, and you're still not comfortable expressing yourself on the internet or you feel weird about having a personal brand, but you're ready to feel super empowered about how you exist on the internet. You have a deep yearning to share your magic with the world through your career. You are a healing professional and or a creative visionary who wants nothing more than to manifest your particular talents and gifts into the world. And we're going to build a bridge to make that possible. To support you in having a more powerful and fun relationship with the internet, I created this course to be a portal to a more enchanted and joyful relationship with the internet and the magic that online presence has to offer. I'll be helping you develop more confidence in showing up online. This course is currently available through a Kickstarter that I'm running to fund a year ahead of astrology forecasts and Magic of the Spheres podcast episodes, so if you enjoy both or either, please help me reach my goal of having 200 backers. I self-publish, and if you enjoy this content, pledging your support is a great way to keep it alive and thriving. I am so excited and grateful. At the time of recording this on June 25th, it's day six of the campaign and we have 33 backers and $6,298. We have 34 days to go and I'll be offering discounted tuition to the online presences performance art class. It's its lowest uh, tuition ever, as well as the evolutionary astrology intensive that I teach. And I'll also be offering downloadables and astrology readings. So check out the link in the show notes to participate. 
And if you, um, for the Kickstarter, but also if you want to learn more about these particular courses, I'm leaving the links to them in the notes. And I think that you'll find for the online presences performance art class that the description page is very helpful and includes teachings already. So give it a read if you've been curious about how you could cultivate a healthier or more fun relationship with the internet. And here's more about Nate Spear before we begin. Nate Spear is an astrologer, vocal artist, storyteller, mythologist, and educator. He comes from a line of astrologers and sound and music composers who use natural environmental sounds and the connection between sound, the natural environment, and the characters within the earth and sky. He offers consulting sessions, writes essays, tells stories, and uses his voice in videos and live performance as an active representative of the world to reignite a sense of magic in every client. It is his aim to connect each person to the idea that they are not blank slates, but that they entered the world with their own daimon, an irreplaceable style of talented genius with inspiring and definite directions in life. As an astrologer, Nate has studied under Jungian psychological and evolutionary astrologer Montgomery Taylor and is influenced by archetypal, shamanic, and renaissance schools of astrology. Nate directs Mythopoetic Astrology, a consulting practice that integrates experiential therapy of astrology through astrodrama, voice, sonic art, and client consulting. His teaching credits include Salem Summer Symposium in Massachusetts, Myth and Theater Festival in France, and Jung Institute NYC. Nate is a collaborator of Pan Theater, the France-based cultural organization that researches the relationship between contemporary performance, mythology, and the archetypal psychology of James Hillman, the company's honorary president. He lives and work in he lives and works in Brooklyn, New York, where he is also the co-artistic director of Nikia Theater. Here's our conversation. A little announcement before we begin. If you enjoy this podcast and you haven't yet read or watched the astrology forecast, whether that's at monarchastrology.com or on YouTube at the channel Sabrina Monarch, you'd probably enjoy them too. I seek to put into language the subtle energies that are showing up at any given week and offer portals of ways to experience the transits as opportunities and also to name the challenges that you may be experiencing. I did mention I'm a clairvoyant while I'm studied in astrology, but when I'm writing these forecasts, I see these little lights um, that pop into my field of vision or on the page when I'm writing that help me refine my ideas. So I really only publish what's lit and people who read the forecast report feeling elevated, comforted, nourished, sometimes for years um, if they've been following me for a while. So do check that out. And you can also join my mailing list through the link in the show notes and receive the forecast directly to your inbox every single week. I'm here with Nate Spear. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I reached out to you because of the way that you present astrological information on these videos, um, your vocabulary for transmitting the transits 
comes through sound and movement and they're like these deeply felt transmissions. So I felt that there must be something behind um, this capacity to transmit planetary energies into performance. So I wanted to talk to you about performance art and how that connects to astrology. Um, so to start out with, what's your background with studying performance and astrology? What brought you here? Well, uh, I've studied performance ever since I was um, ever since I was a kid. I was always a performer. And um, both my parents were performers in different ways. My mom is a singer, and uh, and my dad is a my dad was a um, arts administrator uh, of an organization in Boston called Mobius, which was uh, an international network really that brought a lot of performance artists from all over the world. And so I was exposed both to theater and to performance art from a very young age. Um, and in a lot of cases, I didn't really, when I went to these performance art events in Boston near the town I grew up in, I didn't always know what I was looking at or what to make of it, but it did have some sort of impact on me through osmosis. And I thought that what I wanted was to be an actor, like a a character actor. So I went to uh, theater school. I, I studied um, my undergrad degree, my BFA is in theater. And, uh, and I was also though always, uh, I, I mean, I'm part Greek. So I was always interested in Greek mythology ever since I was really young. And I had this teacher in my undergraduate at DePaul University who uh, he was a yoga teacher, but he also introduced us in the yoga class to mythology from like the perspectives of Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. And, um, and when I discovered these, this notion of that mythology isn't just something to read about in illustrated kids' books, but is part of this whole way of living and um, that mythology informs relationship with the psyche and things like that. I, that, that really blew me away. And I, it actually changed. It really changed the course of how I wanted to develop as a performer because I ended up pursuing um, forms of training and also forms of approaching performance as an art form that explicitly dealt with mythology and um, the relationship between myth and the psyche, both the psyche of the performer and of the audience. And then, you know, over the course of those studies, which I, I mean, I can go into more detail as we, can, as our conversation flows, but um, then astrology became a natural part of that. I just, I wanted to, I wanted tools to make these mythological or psychological ideas real and tangible for people. Um, and astrology became just sort of a natural tool for that. So astrology and performance and myth have been a part of my life for a long time. Yeah. Um, that's really um, cool that it was part of your early life as well. And like an osmosis process of absorbing that from your environment. <laughs> Yeah, I always love the idea of transforming and just how, how, you know, the best character actors or performers would undergo in, in whatever genre 
they were working in or, or style of performance would undergo this complete transformation of voice and body. And there was this, it, it was both, a, it always seemed to me like it was both a playful thing and also a, and also something more than, than, you know, light or superficial kinds of play. Like e even as a, you know, before I was five years old, I, I went through this obsession with witches. And um, I, I think it was after watching a couple of movies where maybe even The Wizard of Oz, where like, I, I became obsessed with the Wicked Witch of the West. And to the point where for a year or two, I would insist on um, my mom letting me walk around carrying a cauldron, actually, <laughs> and, uh, and, and dressing up as the witches uh, that you know, inspired by the movies. So there was something witchy about you know, <laughs> this like young Eastern Massachusetts kid. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So there was a witchiness to the whole thing that I found that captured my imagination. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. That is crazy endearing. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like, can you speak more to what the transformational aspect of performance is to you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the transformational aspect of performance is. Hmm. I, I, I'm going back uh, on, on a lot of different levels of right now of thinking about it. And um, in my mind, I go to Aristotle's actually. Aristotle had, he classified different kinds of activity. And there was productive activity. I don't think I'm, I'm not remembering the, the terms exactly right, but there was productive activity, which was the goal of making something that had a specific function. And then there was practical activity, which was distinct from productive activity. And practical activity was poesis, was linked to poesis or poetics, um, which was not necessarily in Aristotle's terms to make a particular thing according to its usefulness, but it was actually to practical activity was more of a the exploration of a problem or a question or the an activity that embodies uh, an inquiry of some kind and to me at least in my adult life that's what that's really what performance has been is this uh it's a praxis or a practice that um is an embodied it's a form of inquiry that lives in the body in the body and that is that is um that evolves both physically and emotionally. So that's on a philosophical level, uh, part of the way I would describe the trans, the, the relationship between performance and transformation, that it's a form of, um, a form of stepping into an inquiry that, that a person has both intellectually and emotionally and spiritually. Um, another angle to the question is that, because performance, depending on what kind of, whether you're doing, you know, theater or performance art, or um, whether you're working with story or not working with story, whether you're working astrologically, the way that I have been, there is a, a need in performance to confront a lot of different kinds of textures and moods and flavors of life, and including 
the shadows of life and the dark places. And uh, I think, I mean, I would venture to say uh, all performance at a certain point has to confront those different shades, the shadows and the darknesses and the crises. And, um, and doing so is transformative. That is an act of transformation, um, whether it can be quantified or explained how a person is transformed through doing that. It is a way of putting your body on the line. At least for me, it's, it, it's, it has to be a way of putting my body on the line or confronting the sense of my body being in crisis that is um, confronting that crisis and doing so within a container of performance um, is it's a way towards transformation um, for me. Yeah. So mm. that's, that's the beginning of my answer <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I just like really sensed your like Taurus uh, son talking about putting your body on the line as a form of mm. like, part of the performance. Um, oh, interesting observation. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense universally though, as well, because if you're embodying different characters, like you to embody them, there's a sense of really merging with the feelings that that, character is having and thus you have to be able to go to those places yourself right definitely yeah 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 exactly and uh it's interesting you mentioned you picked up on the taurus sun because i've been thinking lately too about how taurus is also the voice the venus is also the voice and um a big part of my journey as a performer has been <laughs> accessing these things it's interesting because you talk about, yeah, empathy and accessing the emotions of characters or of situations or those different layers. And um, performers find different ways in. Some people find ways in simply through imagining, through, through using their imagination or imagining a different set of situations or circumstances. Some people enter through movement and gesture. Some people enter through voice. And a big a big gateway for me was through voice work and, and through discovering different kinds of vocal techniques. So I'm um, riffing, riffing off of your Taurus sun reference there. Yeah. yeah. Can you share about like your training? Cause I understand from speaking with you earlier that you've had some like really interesting, like performance training. Yeah. Um, sure. So, uh, a big influence on my training ever since I was, I would say, 18 years old has been, um, there was a, has been through this old um, artistic ancestor, you could say, whose name was Alfred Wolfson, who was a, um, who was a soldier in World War One, actually. And he was, after the war, suffering severe PTSD. Um, because he was continuously haunted by the screams and the crying and screaming sounds of his fellow soldiers in the trenches of battle. And he tried all different kinds of psychotherapy. And uh, I mean, this was in the, you know, in, through the 1930s and 1940s when psychoanalysis was becoming uh, a big deal. And, um, and he found that these therapies weren't really effective or complete for them unto themselves. What he found the most therapeutic and healing for his post-traumatic stress was actually singing. When he started taking singing lessons, 
he started developing a personal singing practice where he would enact the screams and the cries of those soldiers that whose voices he continuously heard in his head, but he would sing them. So he would sing the scream or he would sing the cry or he would, it was, so it was this kind of alchemical operation of he would make music, he would make tonality and pitch out of those really disturbing, um, you know, tragic sounds. And uh, at a certain point in the 1960s, when all these different kinds of communities were forming and including in the, including in the artistic world, a lot of um, what was called laboratory theater was starting to develop all these different, what, what called themselves laboratories started to pop up. And they consciously got this term laboratory from alchemy uh, as a way of a laboratory in the context of art and theater was seen to be at the time a means of using this artistic form to investigate uh, process of processes of transformation back to back to transformation again of the performer and of the audience. So this man who had been the World War I soldier, Alfred Wolfson, had this pupil in the 1960s whose name was Roy Hart, who was a very charismatic man. And he ended up, uh, after his mentor died, forming this commune in southern France. And uh, maybe 50-something people or something like that moved down there and worked for years on these processes of vocal vocalization, vocal transformation, they, they, would, uh, they would do what were called singing lessons together, where Roy Hart, as the, this sort of guru figure, was, would um, go note by note by note by note on the piano. But the difference between sort of conventional singing lessons was that he wouldn't stop at what was considered to be a person's quote unquote natural range like if you're a baritone or a soprano or a, a tenor or a bass he would go all the way up he would make you go all the way up even if at a certain point uh inevitably your voice goes way past cracking and you have to go ah, 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 <laughs> where like you almost can't even make to a point where you think you almost can't even make sound anymore but in but at that moment you have to find you know where in my body does this sound live what do i need to do what physical position do i need to place myself in in order for this sound to live and to sing um and then you know juxtaposed with these singing lessons this group of people uh this <laughs> cult we might call it but um would, would um I say that lovingly because I have nothing but respect for this lineage, um, would talk about their dreams for hours nonstop. And, and, you know, he would interpret people's dreams because at that time, not only psychoanalysis, but Jungian psychology was like really, um, this sort of at the, uh, at the cutting edge or, um, so so, and a lot of times when people would come to this vocal work, um, they would come out of the experience saying something like, uh, I made sounds just now during this singing lesson that I had only made while dreaming or that I had only, I had only experienced these sounds 
during dreams. I had never made these sounds in my waking life before. So that's what the that's what the flavor you know of it was for a lot of people. Um, and anyway, so uh, that th- this big sort of revolutionary in a lot of ways figure in the theater world, specifically in the area of vocal research, Roy Hart. Um, he died in 1975. And then my mentors directly have been the, uh, the this organization called Pan Theater, which is named after the Greek god Pan, who were part of Roy Hart's original group. So they have this lineage of like transformative vocal work and the whole sort of teacher-student, mentor-student model, which was a very initiatory sort of model in a lot of ways. You know, there was this whole kind of philosophy of your being initiated into the recesses of your psyche and potential for psychic transformation through vocalizing, through this very physical form. Um, So I, I met them when I was 20. I actually went to this center in the south of France and, um, and it completely, I mean, 20 years old, you're very sort of like, I was very open to like, I really want to be, I, I wanted this initiatory experience and I wanted to be marked by something. And um, after discovering a little bit of this vocal work in college, which I was really fortunate to to discover, combined with my interests in mythology that I had mentioned earlier with my yoga teacher introducing us to psychology and mythology and all that stuff. Um, it just so happened that I discovered this company, Pan Theater, named after the Greek god Pan, combined this the lineage of this vocal work with mythology and psychology in this kind of complete, what was for me, a complete package. And it's noteworthy, you know, some people, some of the listeners are probably familiar with the figure of James Hillman, the founder of archetypal psychology, because James Hillman has influenced a lot of archetypal astrology and um, different ways of, you know, viewing the cosmos in an arch- different archetypal lenses into the cosmos. And James Hillman was actually the honorary president of Pan Theater. He was one of the core he was a core collaborator of Pan Theater in its early formation. So, and and a friend throughout, you know, all the way up until his death. So that's my uh, that's a big part of my story. Is that was a big mark on me, um, and influenced a lot of the other kinds of development that I decided to go on afterwards. So, yeah, that uh, all sounds yeah. like wildly fun and world opening. <laughs> like I was getting kind of like what's the word like almost like feeling this sense of longing like wow i want an experience like that or just like to go like into another world where people are being that experimental with reality just sounds like such an incredible experience yeah it was very incredible and very uh fortunate and um and with so much story and kind of legacy behind it and complicated story like lay, you know, layers of complexity and um uh coming out of such a particular historic moment but um but also with this um and, and there were moments when it was painful and when it was like what am i doing what like what am i doing um <laughs> going to the south of france and 
you know, there are these turning points in our lives when we make these decisions that, that sort of determine, we don't know how much they're going to determine the rest of how our career unfolds or how our lives unfold. But, um, but there are certain turning points where we think like, this is a forward thought. I have to go, I have to go with that. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we don't know where it's going to take us. It's like, um, I think James Hillman himself once said, you know, people quote Joseph Campbell a lot, for instance, and in saying, follow your bliss. And, it, and it's often quoted, follow your bliss in this kind of maybe naive way. Um, or, or in this kind of like, follow your bliss and everything will be okay. And I, to a certain degree, I believe that. But, uh, but what Hillman also said was like, you don't know what you're going to get into when you follow your bliss. And that's something really important. Like you don't know where it's going to take you. You will, you will suffer for it. And that's not a bad thing. But you have to know that you don't know what you're going to get in, what it's going to get you into. <laughs> yeah, no, there is uh, yeah. something I think about. Um, I think a lot about the grand fixed cross and just how all the fixed signs of the zodiac influence each other and i do think there's a really strong connection that when we're experiencing our like joy or radiance which is maybe like a leo theme related to performance as well that we retrieve soul fragments um parts of ourselves that have been disassociated or traumatized or we discover the range like suddenly we have the capacity to hold more things. And so our psyche is like, cool, here's this other stuff for you to process that we've been holding back for you. Or like, you know, I just think that that experience, like when people are having peak experiences, that it can bring up some deeper, more difficult content as well. And that's just internally, but I think also externally, the more vibrantly you are connected to life, the more there is to lose in a sense. There's like a deep, yeah. That's a great point about the fixed signs too, because it's like going deeper into the thing. It's going deeper into your experience and all of its uh, riches and also its pain and gently pushing towards um, being able to, yeah, being able to hold more of it, um, being able to wear more of it on your sleeve even. And what you just said also, it made me think of, I think I was just reading the other day this quote from Alexander the Great, like, it is a great thing to live with courage and then die making a mark or something like that. It's, yeah, that's not, not exactly word for word, but it is a great thing to live with courage. But, but what you just said about you have more to lose when you're living vibrantly, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that it takes yeah. courage um, to go all out. And to feel things deeply because there's, there's just more to experience at that point. Um, yeah. I want to hear more about some of the, the impact that these studies can have on people's lives or what impact did it have on your life? So when you open up these, open up the voice or open up in this way with performance, like what kinds of things happen in your life? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it, I th- and people talk a lot uh, lately in certain circles about wildness and 
um, you know, owning your wildness and connecting with nature or connecting with um, the nature of your body or your sensuality or your land, uh, the land around you. Um, I think it, it brings more of a, wow, this is hard to put into words, but I'll try. Uh, it's, uh, it brings some kind of freedom in relationship to, um, I know for me, it's, it's brought some kind of freedom in relationship to how I live my inner and outer life. Um, so for instance, um, I keep going back to the, I keep going back to this quote. This is again from Aristotle. I don't know why I'm quoting Aristotle so much today, but, uh, the, that humans are political animals. And, um, and so there's this sense of animality, this, this, that, that some of, sometimes these practices, these performance practices and um, vehicles of transformation and that sort of thing brings a person in touch with their animality. And uh, there's a greater sense of confidence that emerges because, you know, we don't have to, like some of us, with some of us, our puritanical heritage or our kind of Victorian heritage might teach more of repressing that animality. But this is a reclaiming of the of the, the greedy animal, we might say. Um, and at the same time, there is a, it's a political animal. So it's not just, um, it's not just a sort of self-obsessed or self-indulgent animality, but it's a political animality. So it has some kind of social consciousness or some kind of, it strives for it strives to be aware even if it can't be completely aware it strives to be aware of what's happening in the world and how how i can be an animal how i can be how i can take pleasure being in this human body and all that this body has to offer but also be part of the revolution that's happening but also be uh aware and contribute to society in the way that I can. Um, mm -hmm. I think that that is a positive way that these kinds of practices, um, through not only being about, you know, self healing or internalized experiences, but through being also social part of a social discourse, part of an artistic discourse, um, uh, can bridge those two worlds. I also think that I know speaking for me personally, it's given me back to that thing of praxis or practical activity. They've given me the base, the tools to develop a personal practice to the point where um, I can spend a whole day on a set of practices, either vocally or with writing or with astrology or a combination and, and still not feel like I've, accomplished what I needed to accomplish because I, because there's just so much, there's so much further area for exploration. So I think it makes a person more independent and more autonomous as a way I could say, yeah, maybe not independent, autonomous, I should say it makes a person more autonomous by giving them cultural tools and a kind of 
cultural thinking about their work and their life that they can take into a lot of different kinds of struggles and situations. So, yeah. yeah that has me thinking about, um, like, one thing that came to mind was, like, trauma response and its mm. fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. These different forms of response. And if we are locked into particular responses um, and situations come up, then we have this habitual way of responding. Um, And those are very, it's not necessarily a mental construct. When we're in trauma response, there's a whole body thing that's happening. And so if we learn how to embody different moods or different states that are outside of our normal range, then we have more tools to draw upon. So in situations of conflict, we can choose how we want to respond and not just kind of back into the corner of where we are used to being, if that makes sense. Completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important what you just said. It it reminded me of, um, I remember once my uh, main astrological mentor, his name is Monty Taylor, Montgomery Taylor. he also lives in New York. He said to me once that um, he, he was starting to feel the more and more that he learned about cellular memory and the research being done on you know somatics and cellular memory, that he felt that astrology was incomplete without also an understanding of cellular memory, at least in the form of counseling, in the form of counseling a person to understand you know, the tissues and trauma and the tissues in that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's like more Uranus and Taurus goodness. Like I feel like Uranus and yeah. Taurus is this revolution of somatics. Like that that's yeah. like where the technologies are really being like activated right now. And I think that it's become more collectively considered. Um like somatic psychology and embodiment and just like what that can offer, like a whole world opening. Like I remember um, with, I had an Ashtanga yoga practice for a few years, which uh-huh. injury I can't really sustain anymore. But, um, when I was doing it, I would get into these postures physically that I've never been in before. Um, so moving my body in a way like, or coming up with a posture that literally my frame had never embodied. I would have these spiritual and emotional and like psychological openings from that. And I think that when like, this is part of why like intuitively and just like from experience with performance, um, though not as uh, in depth, but a sense that just going into these other places in a play state um, and reaching frontiers that you haven't been to before will open up this whole other aspect of self and of life. And I think a lot of like manifestation um, and play and Leo are all connected performance and that there's a way that we can call in things um, or create a life based on like actively embodying something before it even arrives. Like that's what manifestation is often about. Yes. Yes. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And that's such a great point about Uranus and Taurus uh, changing the way that we relate with somatics and with our bodies completely. Um, because the, the status quo of, yeah, the, 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's the the way that the way that bodies are both it's it's as if speeding up our nervous systems are both speeding up but also somatics uh and be, being aware of where trauma lives in the body or where these other experiences you were just talking about live in the body or experiences we're not even aware of yet in the body that also demands a kind of slowing down um and a kind of counterbalance and in going into the body so it's as if there it's as if there's this momentum being created through Uranus and Taurus that is speeding up our nervous system, but then also our ideas are changing about the way we understand our bodies are changing. So that also <laughs> demands that we sort of slow down to go deeper into them at the same time. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. One of the, there's like a definition of Taurus from Stephen Arroyo. Um, mm. And I want to get, the quote, uh, but I think it'll take me too long. So it's something about like Taurus is related to the fullness of feeling and sensation. Like that's, Mm. you know, and they were basically just one sentence of like each sign. And it really hit me to read that about Taurus. And I think that even the way that you were talking about different layers and how like getting into a process and it's not even all that you wanted to accomplish because there's so much there that like, that Taurus is wealth and abundance. And I think Mm -hmm. that when we tune into the layers of what's already here, it just kind of infinitely opens up and that we can access that internally. I think that that's kind of like the inner resourcefulness of Taurus versus like when that's shut off for whatever reason and we feel like we need more all the time and we're trying to get more from like the external world. um, When there's like actually so much sensation available and this can be done you think even just like going outside and consciously tuning into the way that the wind feels on your skin like it's a sensation that we don't like we're we have blinders up for generally maybe not but if we choose to pay attention to a sensation that already exists it expands and opens up and i think that that's one of the like mysteries of taurus is this kind of wellspring of wealth that is literally already there yes so in sensation that's that you're yeah you're so right feeling and sensation um it reminds me of that reminds me of um in grad school at naropa university where i went to grad school in performance there we did a lot of somatic work and um my teacher would always say sensation is your anchor you know sensation is your anchor into the present moment sensation gives you all the information that you need right now just by just by dropping in and she would kind of like you know do this sort of drop she would kind of do this dropping in posture or and just drop in and feel what's going on right now (laughs) um and i remember one day mm, she was trying to break down the difference between looking at a feeling and feeling the feeling. And it was really, I, I remember being so frustrated because (laughs) I, I, because I have a really strong, like, um, and sometimes like people who know me really well notice that, that like when I'm really struggling with something or when I'm thinking about something really hard, I get this like, vein and <laughs> this vein coming out of my forehead you know <laughs> and so erica my my team somatic you know teacher mentor said you 
she said, you have to let go of the pituitary, <laughs> let go of your pituitary gland. She would say and in front of the, in front of my whole cohort, in front of all my colleagues, she took my wrist and she like put her other hand on my forehead and she said, don't look, feel. And then I was just like, what? She said, that's it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't look, let go of the pituitary, just feel, you know? <laughs> so no, it's what, really interesting what you're saying, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's just as simple as going outside and feeling the ground and, um, <laughs> and not like looking or examining at, at all of the sensation necessarily. Sometimes that is right. Sometimes that is great to do, but also just like ah, feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know that kind of like, it's like a Taurus Aquarius square, like thinking about yes. in a detached way versus being in it and the possibility that both can happen at the same time. But definitely if we have like a, I think as a culture, um, there's a lot of kind of focus on being cerebral and mm -hmm. logic and talking about things. And so <laughs> embodiment is kind of yes. opening up the balance, I think, between like actually being in these subtle sensations that we're blocking out or cognize instead of live inside of. Yes, yes. And even I think that you're so right about, you know, the emphasis of, on being cerebral in our culture, even in some cases, more of a, um, um, I love, I love Virgo, so I'm not like ratting on Virgo or whatever, but a Virgoan way of being cerebral at, in certain cases of like, what's, uh, what is the right way to examine this? What, what is the right way to perceive this feeling? What is the healthy way to do it? What is the, you know, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. And Aquarius and what you were saying about Aquarius and Taurus, Aquarius wants because Aquarius wants the widest possible context for something. It wants to see something in the most expansive possible context and the bigger picture. And Taurus wants the Taurus wants the sensation. It wants the feeling itself and the deliciousness of the sensation, right? <laughs> so, but couple that, combine that with a culture that thinks that it prizes itself on critical thinking when maybe maybe it does to greater or lesser degrees, you know, in relative terms. Um, yeah. Sometimes we don't get either the expansive context or the fullness of the sensation. Sometimes we get this sort of doubt about what's right, what's wrong. Da, 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 da. And that's where I think <laughs> astrology and all these other practices can really be helpful. You know what they have for me. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you about like charisma and just okay. kind of how charisma connects with performance and like, is charisma something that can be developed? Do you think, um, versus like, mm. when is it this inherent kind of spark in someone? What is charisma? Just like pretty open-ended. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, uh, wow. Charisma is such a big, word and is such a again multifaceted topic my first thought i go back to my to another mentor i've had with uh sometimes i feel like sometimes i feel like i don't really exist i'm just like this 
uh, amalgamation of influences through by, of like the elders that have inspired and influenced me. But I go back to this mentor I've had. His name is Rob List, and he's a choreographer and a mime artist. Um, and he's also my godfather, actually. And um, and I and he talks about charisma as being not something that a person possesses inherently, but not in, in other words, not something that you can possess, but something that has to do with the electricity of the moment um, that has to do with how, uh, and, and maybe this word is sort of overused in certain, in a lot of cases today, but present, uh, a, lot, a lot of people talk about being present sort of, but how, how aware and how open and available you a person is to the moment that that's where charisma comes from. Um, not from, not from something, not from a quality that a person possesses. It's a, it was the charisma of the moment, the charismatic moment, the electricity of that moment that could not be repeatable or that could not be, you know, um, that, that precisely what made that moment or that person charismatic in that moment was that it could not be replicated. It was right there at that time, which kind of goes with the performance, the whole kind of romanticism of performance to begin with is its ephemeral quality. It's there and then it's not there, you know, uh, at least live performance. And then I think about, um, and, uh, my, my, mentor at Pan Theater, the, the company I was talking about earlier. Um, his name is Enrique Pardo. Um, he talks about three different levels of presence, uh, you know, when, when talking about a performer's charisma or presence. He talks about the first level being physical presence, which has to do with just the, you know, virtuosity of the performer's body and, and the, uh, embodiedness of the performer taking pleasure in their body and the second level is um presence of mind so does are there it's not just the charisma of the virtue the physical virtuosity or the physical beauty or the you know that or the glamour but also the is there an intelligence is there a are there ideas um and what are the quality of those ideas and then the third level for him he would always talk about was presence of spirits and people would kind of go, what, what do you talk? What is presence of spirits? What does that mean? He would say, do, does this person walk on stage? And then the stage feels haunted after they're walking on stage. So it's like, you're not just looking at this person. You're looking at this, this person is making you perceive the, the whole environment or the whole atmosphere in a different way. Um, and I, and I, I, I continue to go back to that in my mind because all of those are kind of the, the presence of spirits thing, the charisma of that. It's not just about, it's not just about the performer. It's not just about me. It's in fact, like with my astrological video content, I get so, I, I get really frustrated with the fact that when I post something people see my face in the thumbnail because and maybe I'm like trying to do different things about it because I, it's like what I earn, what I sincerely really want to do is not make it about myself or my technique or blah, 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 but to invoke different presences and to create some situation where the perception of these 
planet, planetary forces, intelligences, voices is possible, and where I'm only a conduit for that. So I think both of those ways, those ways of talking about charisma, it's both, it's the electricity of the moment, it's to do with something, it's not to do with what a person possesses, it's to do with the whole moment around that person. And it's also to do with the how open to the world, how open to even the cosmos or um, to the different realms of existence that person's charismatic body is open to. Um, so, yeah, I think the question of charisma comes down more to um, this sense of this sense of openness or availability. Um, because when you're open and available, that goes back to the, your transformation. What what we were talking about earlier was transformation. It goes back to when you're open and available, you you might have a point of departure in terms of your technique or your approach or something like that. But after a certain moment, you have to be open to not knowing who you are and not operating in your habitual ways. Maybe the way that I am available to the moment means that my voice changes a lot or something. <laughs> and, 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 and I could, in a way that I could not have, prefabricated Um, and it might end up looking ridiculous so I think charisma has to do with being completely open to this panoramic quality of the moment and uh, knowing that that's elusive and not repeatable and being completely open to transform and for it to look completely ridiculous and for it to not look the way that you think charisma should look (laughs) so it's this paradox you know (laughs) wow that's really interesting and these practices and you know things like that that we've been talking about i think are different ways of getting a person to a space where they can be that way where they where they can be in that frame of mind where they can lose um again another overused word right now but ego like they, they can lose this thingy that's in the way that's like trying to control or program the whole situation. Um, I think it's a, it's one of those long haul, like lifelong journeys. <laughs> yeah. Something that this was having me think about too, before you mentioned the practice part, but I was thinking about um, memorizing a speech or something and how, when you have it so deeply memorized that you can, inhabit it like in this very spontaneous way so you're not using your mind to remember what you need to say you already have the script but then you add these gestures or voice intonation or go off script for a minute and come back but that you're anchored by having something that you're working from you know you could also just completely improv but i think that there's something about like the foundation that we're coming from that mm-hmm. supports us to improvise if that yeah completely yeah that completely makes sense or i think of uh yeah yeah of course there's what you're talking about aligns well with um training as an actor where you learn they don't they don't when you learn a speech or you learn a monologue or for instance they don't the expression is not learning by mind or learning by rote the expression is learn it by heart right so at a certain point 
you have absorbed it so much that you don't have to see visually the words in your mind's eye, but you are, you, you learn, you've learned it by heart. So, uh, it, it's, it's all in here. The words are digested in some way. And then I think also about storytelling where in the, you know, the traditions coming from the bards of ancient Greece or different kinds of storytelling traditions where um, storytellers would tell these really long form tales and epic poems and sagas. I'm really inspired by that. That's really interesting to me um, because it's both, it's both a set form. It's both um, there's a score, you know, there's a, there's a structure, there's a score to the, you know, there's a point A, point B, point C. But there's also an extemporaneous or spontaneous or improvised, as you were saying, uh, quality to it. Um, so I, I know like that's in the last few years, that's how I've tried to work a lot with my own material, whether it's astrological or otherwise, uh, is through this. There's a score, there's some kind of structure, but there's also room for these kinds of spontaneous explosions to happen um, because, because each moment or each encounter. Uh, is different. That um, is a good thing to yeah. consider with astrology because there's the transits, they are happening. They're happening on schedule. Right. Like that is set in a yeah. sense, but the experience could be so many different things. And I think even right. knowing the transits and being able to speak astrologically um, or just have even like forecasts or reading astrological content where you have an idea of what the moment is and then you can inhabit it in this way that is through that lens a little bit. Um, but I experienced that just with like tracking transits and then living them out. There's, I'm aware of kind of like what the weather is and then this experience can unfold and it's always like surprising in some sense. Yeah. There's always a surprise. right i know i've heard people different people say it's all it always feels so on the nose in retrospect that you can't uh, you know predict what what the manifestation is going to be it's uh but it's always somehow on uh, like the symbolism is always somehow really on the nose i find it (laughs) yeah um yeah that's a good point tracking those like you know what the timing is going to be but how you live through that is it's spontaneous, right? Yeah. Right. I think there's even something like I've noticed within the astrology community, especially since I started tuning into like Astro Twitter and like absorbing and like observing more of like traditional perspectives, which is not my background. I come from an evolutionary astrology background, which is a modern branch, but Um, there's like planetary days. And so like moon day, Monday, Mars day, Tuesday, and that you can like dress up in the colors related to that, um, day and that you can do these ritualistic things to be with the planetary day. And I find that performative in some sense, like Mm -hmm. that you're embodying the energy of those planets on those days for, you know, a variety of reasons, like I'm not sure what everyone's rationale is, but to me, it seems like just a form of connection and communion, but having like a, um, whenever I like get it together enough to like dress up in the color related to that day, 
it does feel like a sacred kind of ritualistic thing to do that opens up some potential within the day that maybe wouldn't have existed. Was I not wearing, you know, black on Saturn day or I think yeah. is green a Venus color or did I just make that up? But green. No. On- I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. It's uh it's, it is. Yeah. It's linked to performance in my mind because um with performance, we talk about structured improvisation, like let's do a structured improvisation. So we have a score, whether it's like a physical score, a movement score, a gestural score, like I know I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, but I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen in between. I just know that that's the journey. So that that's my, there's some sort of score, but, um, but you don't know but but it, and and the and the rigor of the score is what animates the unknowns all of the variables that happen which could otherwise just kind of be going through a moment in time when you're doing a little bit of this a little bit of that but when you have this kind of rigor of a score and a code or a codification that animates the unknown factors the same way that the spontaneous it also liberates the unknowns to spontaneously animate the the code the 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 structure so i think i feel like it's a similar that's the way that artistically it would be um explain that's the way that's the way i would kind of interpret this artistically and of course yeah in the in astrologically and magically it's a form of theurgy so it's a form of ceremonial connection with the planetary powers and with the and with the gods and uh and that's really what interests me right now Mm -hmm. is like taking all of this um body voice and creativity stuff and really diving into that kind of work um with the planets and so yeah (laughs) So for people that are listening, do you have any like suggestions of resources or practices that people can try to like bring more performance um, into their life? Mm. Great question. Um, I would suggest, um, well, a couple of things. One is when in doubt or when just searching for something to do or to try out um <laughs> i keep going back to roll on the floor and scream <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're if your living space allows it because other obviously there are things to consider there but if you just um no what i would say what i would suggest to listeners if they are looking for a really concrete specific experience to try <laughs> is to lock themselves lock yourself in a room for 45 minutes and tell yourself even if you're not a singer or it, it has nothing to, this is nothing to do with like whether you consider yourself a singer or a vocalist or a performer at all it's, it's just an experiment something to interface to us try try this out lock yourself in a room for 45 minutes and say i'm going to start using my voice and i'm not going to stop I'm going to have moments of silence, but I'm not going to stop and think about it until these 45 minutes are done. And the whole 45 minutes, I am giving a vocal uh, concert, um, not using not using the lyrics of songs that I already know. You know, just but but 
working completely through, you know, uh, you know, for 45, I, I don't know, for 45 minutes, just working through your own uh, instrument and your own active, it's a form of active imagination, really, at, through your own images and how that how that comes through your body and voice. So just trying that as an experiment is a great uh, start. Um, and if people want resources to look at, um, based on what we've talked about together, I would suggest looking at, if you go to YouTube and you type Roy Hart, there's a whole series like R-O-Y h-a-r-t there's a whole set of um you know there's a whole set of audio files with uh, i think it has a picture of him you know making a big face as if he's voicing something really dramatic <laughs> and and some of it some of it may make you kind of roll your eyes because this is, this is so arcane or or like something but but some of it is really interesting uh and, and the sounds the sounds and the screams and the and the growls that come out it's at the very least a window into a moment in cultural history that's like okay the, this this guy these people were committed to what they were doing uh so there's that and also um uh i'm 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 very happy to give anyone a one-on-one -on -one voice lesson i'm also developing this material right now it's i mean it's still in very early stages but i'm developing this material now where i'm working with natal charts with, with the natal chart and transits and the voice so being inspired by a person's um, planetary placements having this embodied uh way of knowing um these different potentials or these, these different archetypal imagistic potentials as articulated through the natal chart so if anyone wants to reach out and um have us have one-on-one -on -one sessions with me i'd be very happy to do that uh, <laughs> that's also possible um yeah. so how can people find and work with you and what kinds of offerings do you have um in addition to the the one-on-one -on -one voice lessons so I also offer readings. Um, uh, I, I offer natal chart readings and transits and customized astrological readings for any questions that a person might have. Um, they can find me at um, mythopoeticastrology at gmail.com or on my Instagram, mythopoeticastrology, uh, or <laughs> etc. mythopoeticastrology.com. I come out regularly with astrological forecast videos, um, which I have. I'm trying two different structures right now. One is a more sort of educational astrology series where I go over transits kind of in a conversational way, like we're talking now. And um, the other is what I've been calling shadow scopes, shadow horoscopes, which, which is a more kind of like giving complete, it's a horoscope, but giving complete poetic license to the all of the forces that are happening uh, and a more intuitive form of writing about it and speaking about it so i have shadow scopes on my website mythopoeticastrology.com and on my youtube channel mythopoetic astrology i have the uh the 
learning astrology series and shadow scopes in video form. Um, yeah, I just got Twitter. I'm probably going to go crazy after just getting a Twitter account. Um, but you feel free to feel free to follow me on Twitter as well. Twitter is um, fun. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. But I basically just use Twitter to like talk to astrologers. Like I didn't realize there was this whole party happening on Twitter. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's cool. That's part of the reason I finally just bit the bullet and did it because I figured, okay, it seems like there's a lot happening on there. And yeah, um, so I, I don't know what it's like it. outside of like astrology. I mean, there's a huge like astro Twitter kind of. It feels like there's like different parts of the Twitterverse depending on what you're interested. Right. In. But it's not like I feel like Facebook where you just connect with people that you kind of know or people that add you. Like it's yeah, yeah. Twitter is like very information specific. Right. I'm yeah. <laughs> just what it seems like. Um, yeah. Anyway, though, this has been really cool talking with you. And I, one thing I want to ask um, before we go, I guess two things. Um, what kinds of things you're currently like studying and excited about? Um, and for yeah. people that are interested in getting a reading with you, like what kind of astrology that you draw from? Oh, that's great. Um, I'm, well, I'm really, wow, so much. I mean, I'm studying, uh, I'm really taken right now in this moment by mundane astrology and by um, being able to track outer planet cycles, the cycles of the outer planets as we know them now. Um, especially Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, uh, tracking their cycles through history to put historical events in context and to put where we are now in, in such a revolutionary and transformative moment in the world and in the United States to put these moments in context. Um, so I've been doing a lot of, I've been sort of writing up a storm lately um, in trying to track these outer planet cycles and how they're both relevant to society at large and also to people's um, individual natal charts and their own personal journeys and what their what their role is and what their what their um, what part they're playing in the whole scheme of things mm -hmm. right now um, so that's really really interesting to me um, and I'm also studying I'm, I started studying with this online magic school, Korea, which is a, a very comprehensive um, set of instructions and trainings on in Western magic and Western magical traditions. And so I'm trying to go deeper into my magical studies and also into the way that astrology interfaces with history as well. Um, yeah, that's that's those those things really interest me right now, and and just ways to I don't know ways to really be a better citizen, be a better social citizen and contributor, contribute with my writing and, and with my artistic voice. Um, so I, that's that's my that's my context. A lot of my training as an astrologer is 
I, I was trained, this man, Montgomery Taylor, who I was talking about earlier, has called himself a Jungian psychological astrologer. So that's uh, the bulk of my training was through one-on-one apprenticeship sessions with him. But uh, I, would, I, I would say his legacy stretches much, much wider than Jungian psychological, even if that was his foundation. Um, he, he's really the person that offered me this window into looking at placing events in their archetypal context, which is what really is interesting to me. And also the individual counseling, astrological counseling um, is, yeah. So that, so both the individual and society and humanity, it's uh, all connected for me. The connections between those is what's most interesting. Right. I just, yeah, yeah. Astrologers, I think that we have a way of making connections and correlations. That's what the art is about. So I find that astrologers tend to be multi-talented people that are drawing from a variety of studies and experiences. And even if we're very clear in our branding about what kind of astrologer we are, there's usually a lot more to the picture. So, but the brand can help. Yes. I'm an evolutionary. Completely. But there's more to it, but it's just nice to like, let people know kind of what you're doing, but there's always definitely. Completely. Yeah, I, I and I call my you know I call my practice mythopoetic because it's a reference to the mythopoetic thinkers, including James Hillman, who I mentioned a couple of times, and um, a couple of others uh, like the storyteller Michael Mead has a pod- podcast called Living Myth that I like a lot. Um, that the you know these um, thinkers and storytellers that were inspired by. Um, by romantic poets and by this kind of romanticism and relationship with nature and with story and with poetry going really far back. Um, so that's what I, 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 yeah, I try to bring the image and bring store a sense of storytelling to astrological material. That's another, that's another way of framing. That's interesting to me. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today for this show. Thank you, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor. You've done me an honor in inviting me on your podcast. Well, this was so much fun, and I loved the definition of charisma that Nate shared with us. I've been thinking about it ever since, and I've been talking about it, and it's kind of a liberating thought to think that charisma isn't this extra thing or an addition to become something else, but it's a full inhabitants of what we already are, feeling comfortable in ourselves, and it made sense. When I kind of flip through the Rolodex of images in my mind of what I think charisma is, there is that sense of people being so deeply comfortable with themselves. Thank you so much for listening. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling your friends and also leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it over to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email and send you a free gift that I'm sending to podcast reviewers when that gift is ready. All right. Have a beautiful week. Mm -hmm.